Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Advent season. And here in Canada, we get to enjoy Advent with all the beautiful snow on the ground. As we come together to worship you, may you be glorified in everything that is said and everything that is done. And as we open the Bible to the story of your son's birth, we pray that our eyes would see you and be in awe and wonder. We pray that our minds would be open to understand more deeply, more fully, perhaps even reminded what it is that you're doing. And that we would leave this place changed. We pray, oh God, that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hands, and our hearts to respond to you the way you have called us to this day. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Every year at the same time, we get into promotion mode. Every year, we start to get excited, and we begin to think in awe and wonder at the time of the season. Every year, we want to improve on the year previous. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's September, and Apple's new product launch. And Apple works hard to produce this beautiful commercial, and I want you to sit back and enjoy it. The first time I watched that commercial, I was absolutely mesmerized. It makes you think something really big is happening, doesn't it? The movements are happening so quick, you think, what's taking place? There's so much tech there that you think, I can't read it all. It must be amazing, and the humor draws you in. Yet the more I think about it, the less impressed I get. I mean, a part of me would love to have a better camera on my phone. My phone's quite old. But when it really comes down to it, is that phone any faster than the phone in my pocket? Can I still check Facebook? Can I hang on a cliff and talk to my mom because there's nothing else I'd rather do at that very moment? <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we were driving through Leduc and my four-year-old saw Christmas decorations hanging from the street lamps. And he was in awe. 
And so he turned to his three-year-old brother and he said, Hawksley, do you see that? And Hawksley looks out the window and goes, whoa. My wife and I are in the front seat going, it's nice, but it's not that impressive. It takes a little bit more to impress adults for make, to make us go, wow, that is something spectacular. Last weekend, we had the opportunity to go with some friends to the Enjoy Center in St. Albert and to check out, I believe they call it Glow, half a million lights. If you enjoy going to something like that with your family, check it out. It is amazing. How do you recapture the wonder at Christmas? Most of us probably aren't waking up at 6 a.m. waiting with this great anticipation to open the presents under the Christmas tree. If you're anything like my family, we're thinking it's just a little bit more work to do. The pace of Christmas doesn't allow us to stop and reflect. The title of this passage this morning, my message this morning, might be a little bit ambitious. How do you recapture the wonder? And I hardly want to over-promise and under-deliver, but over the next 30 minutes, as we step away from the speed and from the expectations of what the world has around us, perhaps we can remind ourselves of what's really taking place and recapture just a piece of that childlike awe. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to uh, Luke chapter 1, to Luke chapter 1. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew racks in front of you. Uh, If you would like to download an app on your phone, we have an app that uh, we encourage you to check out at this time, and it's always with you wherever you might be. As you open your Bible and your apps, I want to do a little bit of compare and contrast with what's happening in the biblical narrative and what's happening with high-paced marketing at this time. Immediately upon seeing the Apple commercial, upon watching that upcoming movie trailer on that flight to Disneyland or that big winter vacation, there's a sense of awe, of expectation, of being drawn into something spectacular. Listen to Mary's response when an angel sent from heaven appears to her and tells her that she will be the mother of God. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And here's the first part of our outline, where big-budget advertising is trying to strike us with awe and wonder. Mary responds very differently. She responds with a thoughtful response. Let's take a moment and look at the context and what was taking place at this time. Verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. In the entire scriptures, angels are mentioned nearly 300 times. But do you know how many angels are actually named? Two. And they're brought up less than 10 times. The archangel Michael is brought up five times, three times in the book of Daniel, once each in the book of Jude, and once in the book of Revelation. The other angel mentioned in scripture is the angel Gabriel. Like Michael, we read about him in the book of Daniel. And the only other time he's mentioned is right here in Luke chapter 1. It's a big deal. 
The word angel can also be translated messenger. So many times when we read of angels, we know there's an important message to be shared. But this isn't the only thing the author wants us to know. He gives us a snapshot of who Mary is and a taste of what's to come. Looking at verses 27 and 28, we learn a couple of things. She's engaged to a man by the name of David, uh, a man by the name of Joseph, who is a descendant of David, Israel's greatest king. And she's a recipient of a divine blessing. With your Bibles and apps in front of you, take a look at verses 28 and verses 30, and you'll see this word favor in both these verses. This is something called an inclusio. It's a writing style expressing the importance of what's taking place. So listen to it again. Greetings, says the angel, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Well, Mary is greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel comes with some reassurance. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You have found a divine blessing with God. Something big is about to happen. And the text gives us another clue by that form of repetition. A virgin pledged to be married. A virgin by the name of Mary. How do you respond in that moment? We're not told when this interaction takes place. Was it in the middle of the day when Mary was out working in the field? Was she at home doing some housework? Is she at the bed after a long day? We don't know. But we do know is this, Mary is startled because suddenly there's an appearance of a visitor. Wondering what exactly is in front of her, yet in the midst of this thoughtfulness, she never speaks. She doesn't cry out in fear, she doesn't jump up and down in excitement, she doesn't even ask a question, she simply waits. And wow, does the angel have something to say. Verses 31 to 33. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. I just mentioned that Mary's fiancé, Joseph, comes from the line of David, Israel's greatest king, and Mary would have been very familiar with the promises that God made to David. So as you keep open your Bibles at Luke chapter 1, the screen behind you is going to, behind me is going to take us through 2 Samuel 7 and the promise that God made to David, taking him from, work, uh, from caring for his sheep out in the field to being the king and ruler of all of Israel. This is 2 Samuel 7 verse 9. I, God, have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of earth. The angel says to Mary, your son, he will be great. Picking up in verse 12, when your, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up for you an offspring to succeed you, you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. Jesus is the son of Joseph from the line of David. Looking at Luke 1, 32 to 33, you read, The Lord God will give him his throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Finally, in 2 Samuel 7, verse 14, I, God, will be his father, and he will be my son. And the angel says to Mary, he will be called Son of the Most High. 
every step of the way as the angel continues to talk, Mary begins to recognize the birth of Jesus, the birth of her son, is the fulfillment of the promise to David. This isn't just big news. This is the hope for the entire world. This isn't just a visitor. This is a long-awaited savior is about to arrive. This isn't just a heavenly messenger. God is coming to earth. The idea of God coming to earth isn't unique to Christianity. There are many religions that talk about God coming to earth. Perhaps one of the most famous is Greek mythology, where Zeus meets a woman from earth, and they have a child, and his name is Hercules. What makes this story any different? Last week, I had the immense pleasure of having Q&A with the grade five and sixes upstairs. It was a blast. And if you think grade five and sixes don't ask great questions, read these questions behind me. Can people in heaven see what's happening on earth? If they can, wouldn't that make them sad? Why do some people believe the world wasn't created in seven days? Does the Bible mention anything about dinosaurs? Did the animals all get along on the ark? What came first, the chicken or the egg? Then finally, do babies have a pure heart? We read these words in Romans chapter 5 about that last question. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass, Adam, was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness, Jesus, was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Through Adam, all people have sinned and are born with an impure heart, but Jesus doesn't have an earthly father. He has a heavenly father who is absolutely perfect. Jesus never gave up his divinity when he came down from heaven. Instead, he took on humanity. Jesus isn't half God, half man. Jesus is fully God, fully man. And as the angel is speaking to Mary, she remains silent in thoughtful response. Could it be? Is God coming to earth? There's a movement that's taking place in Mary where she begins with a thoughtful response. She moves towards a gradual acceptance. Last weekend was Black Friday, the time of year where retailers are seeing dollar signs. Box stores, large companies are both doing everything they can with their marketing to make sure that we can come into their store and purchase to our heart's content. Have you ever noticed that they don't advertise too far in advance? They don't want you to think about the purchase. They want you to run to their store and make that impulse buy. They use phrases like, this weekend only, and door crasher, only 25 in stock. Or as one of my closest friends says, we'd be losing money if we don't buy it. Think back to when you first had someone tell you about the gospel. Think back to the first time you were introduced to Jesus. Maybe someone brought you to church. Maybe you stumbled onto a TV evangelist. Maybe it was a conversation with your parents or some friends. For the vast majority of us, there wasn't this immediate sense of awe and wonder. Most of us don't come to faith the first time we hear about Jesus. When we look at our own lives, what was the process that you went through? Personally, I grew up in a Christian home. Both my parents loved Jesus deeply. 
Dad has served on the board at his local church. He's been a small group leader for years. My mom's actually on staff. And they would talk to me about Jesus all the time, but that doesn't mean I believed right away. Like those grade five and six students upstairs, I had questions too. Are Adam and Eve real people? How did we get different races? Is the Bible real? Can we trust all these miracles? Was a man really swallowed by a fish and spat up on shore? Here's the rub. Unless we've really sat down and wrestled with how completely absurd, how incredibly mythical, how out of the box the story is, have we truly grasped what's taking place? God came down to earth. Take a look at verse 35, the first words that Mary does speak in this interaction with the angel. And what does she say? How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? I think that's a polite way of saying, this is crazy. It's totally impossible. And yet, somehow I still believe it. Well, our passage today is the first chapter of Luke. We didn't start in the first verse, but rather jumped into verse 26. The first major section is about Gabriel making his first visit. There's a priest by the name of Zechariah is lighting incense in the temple when Gabriel shows up to him, and this is chapter 1, verse 13, and says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Well, Zechariah can't believe it. He doesn't believe this could possibly be true, and the angel Gabriel gives him a little bit of a verbal smack. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at the proper time. Mary's response is a little bit different. She's completely surprised, but she's thoughtful. She's thinking about it. Could it be true? What if we were to set up two categories? One category on the left talks about the gospel. The category on the right talks about marketing. Both of whom want to have as many followers as possible. The whole world would not be asking for too much. The first step of the gospel is simple, isn't it? Present the truth. The problem with that is the truth is so wild, so crazy, it's actually a little bit difficult for us to wrap our minds around it. An angel showing up to speak to a teenage girl who's never been with a man, that she is going to be pregnant, and inside of her stomach is going to be the Son of God. For us, sitting here, the only way to be saved is to believe the Son of God came down from heaven, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, a great substitution for anyone who chooses to accept it, the blood of Jesus for your own. The first step of marketing is also simple. It begins with awe and wonder. That movie trailer is so amazing, of course you have to run out and see it. Once you experience this chain of luxury resorts, your life will never be the same again. This vacuum is so incredible, dirt will not even hit your floor. I set myself up for that story. I have to tell you this. Over the summer, my wife had some friends from BC where she used to live call and say, hey, Jenna, we're in town. Do you mind if we stop by this afternoon and just hang out? 
And it actually worked out that her friends could come by that day, so I was upstairs with the kids. My wife is downstairs with three of her friends from BC. And we're hanging out, me with the kids, the ladies downstairs, and suddenly I hear the vacuum going. I think, well, that's a little bit weird. Maybe the kids had made a mess and they were just cleaning it up. But then it didn't stop. I'm thinking, why are they vacuuming when they're all there together hanging out and they haven't seen each other for a couple of years? So I go downstairs and I check it out. And one of Jenna's friends is vacuuming our floor. And she's standing there like a bad infomercial, telling her everything that's taking place. And the other two girls are going, ooh, ah. I think it's ridiculous. And some of you are thinking, well, what vacuum was she using? The second stage in creating followers is the decision to purchase. Will you see that movie? Will you stay in that hotel? Will you make this purchase that will transform your life? <clears throat> the gospel column is different. There's that idea of gradual acceptance. Verses 35 to 38. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. God came down to earth. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who spoke matter into existence, the one who lives in absolute perfection with the Father and the Spirit, decided to leave heaven in all its beauty and all its glory, take on human flesh and come in the form of a helpless babe being born in a stable. And he came to save us. In a hymn by William Billings, he writes, Seek not in courts, nor palaces, nor royal curtains draw, but search the stable, see your God, extended on the straw. Jesus never exploited privilege for his own advantage. Instead, he counted the interests of humanity more important than his own. And Mary begins to see something is happening. So Mary goes through a movement a thoughtful response, a gradual acceptance. Eventually, she's struck with awe. Verses 39 to 49. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in a hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home. That was the priest who the angel had already visited, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored? The mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary responded, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Let's go back to those two columns for a moment. Marketing begins by grabbing you with awe and wonder and hoping that you will make that decision to purchase. But where does that leave us in the end? 
took me a while to come up with those three words. Hype, not hope. Let's be honest, there are some great things out there. Some of us have phones that are with us that we absolutely love having and don't know what life would be like without them. We've gone on family vacations and they have been a wonderful blessing to us and those around us. Even the smaller things that we've enjoyed come because people have worked hard putting them together. My four-year-old has discovered my old video games. Nothing newer than 10 years old, all on an old Nintendo, and we love playing video games together. Mario stomping on some Goombas, absolutely timeless. And yet the more he plays, the, more, the less awestruck he becomes. The gospel column is different. It starts with the hearing of the truth, a gradual acceptance. But as you keep digging further still, there is that awe and wonder. I stumbled onto this quote a couple of years ago, and I absolutely love it, although I don't remember who said it. The more I learn about the God of the Scriptures, the more I fall in love with the God of the Scriptures. Over the month of November, I've so appreciated Pastor Mel walking us through the book of Jonah, and as he wrapped up last week, he talked to us about a wor- we, how we worship a God of second chances, a God who is pursuing us even when we're going in the exact opposite direction. The closing of his message last week left me in that awe. He talked about how Jonah had grudgingly told the city of Nineveh to turn from their evil ways and to focus on God, which they did. But rather than being happy about this turn of events, he went up on a hill overlooking this great city of more than 100,000 people, and he told God he was so angry that they were saved from death, he wished God would just kill him on the spot. Eight hundred years later, another man stood on a hill. And as Jesus overlooked that great city of Jerusalem and seeing the people who didn't believe his message, he wept for them. But unlike Jonah, he didn't run away from God's calling. Jesus set his face out for the path for him, one that would end in certain death, but offer salvation to the whole world. The more I learn about the God of the scriptures, the more I fall in love with the God of the scriptures. As I was writing this portion of my message, a handful of volunteers were working hard throughout the building, setting it up and making it look beautiful for us to enjoy this Christmas and Advent season. There's a sense of excitement, a sense of anticipation as we move through these next few weeks, which will culminate on December 24th, right here in this auditorium, as we remember the birth of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And in the midst of the craziness and the busyness of Christmas, we come to church on Sunday mornings, we come to special events, we'll come on, I believe it's Monday or Tuesday night, and we will sit back in awe and wonder of what God has done. Taking another look at verse 38, you can almost hear Mary's gradual, maybe even reluctant acceptance of this overwhelming truth. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. But it would seem that it isn't until she visits her cousin who shouts out this blessing that it really becomes real to Mary and she's struck with awe about what's taking place. 
And so then that she sings out with awe and wonder, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I read a preaching book this past week, or past year, and the uh, author said, you know, sometimes my wife says to me, don't try to be the Holy Spirit. That's God's job. And while I try to create an environment in which we can sit back in awe and wonder, I want to put on that tour guide hat and say, are you listening? God came down to earth. Take a look at verse 49, and we'll just change the pronoun. The mighty one has done great things for you, has done great things for us. Holy is his name. God came down to earth. There's a lot of extras that happen at Christmas time. Extra food, extra gifts, extra parties, all of which mean extra planning. This morning, I don't want to give us one more extra to do. There is no application today. This message is full of implication. To sit back in awe and wonder. God took on flesh and came down to earth. For those who are helping with communion today, I'd like to invite you to come forward.